Well, good evening, Mosaic. So good to be here with you tonight. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I struggle with anger, codependency, and depression. And my name is David. And it's a joy to be with you here at Mosaic tonight. We're gonna worship the Lord together, focusing on his goodness and the power to change our lives from the inside out. And this first song actually sets that whole theme for us up tonight. And uh, the song story behind this song, uh, I read just a few months ago, and some of the writers of the song shared this, and I would love to just read this over us as we begin tonight. We all experience moments in life when we find ourselves having a funeral for dreams in which we once believed. We all experience times when the loss of a close relationship knocks the breath out of us or an unexpected circumstance drives us to our knees in desperation. And we suddenly feel like we're staring at a hopeless situation. But this is where our God steps in to demonstrate his authority over it all. He specializes in turning things around. He specializes in resurrection. He is the only one who can make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He is the only one that can turn our mourning into dancing. He is the only one who can give us beauty in exchange for ashes. And he can even take a grave, and turn it into a garden. So we hope this song stirs your faith to believe that God's purpose will prevail and reminds you that his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. And I love that song story because it encouraged me, cast a whole new light on this song that I'd sung for a long time but we sing it tonight with a fresh perspective, maybe for the first time. Let's stand and worship together. Here we go. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Oh, I know it's true. And I'm not afraid. And you still call me friend Cause the God of the mountain Is the God of the valley And there's not a place Your mercy and grace won't find me
take a seat. Welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. If you're new, um, this is a church where we believe that all are broken. Um, We got hurts, we got habits, we got sin, but we matter to God and we give him the glory as he restores us back together. Amen. Hey, a couple of things. One, as you were walking in, ladies, you got them? What are you at? Any ladies get some of these? Yeah, perfect. Uh, Ladies, this is a great opportunity um, we have a uh, Carrie Tucker puts on these retreats for us and I'm kind of jealous as a guy, uh, cause they're incredible. Um, the depth, the relationships, the way they encounter Jesus together, you don't want to miss out. And guys, we'll have one coming later. And uh, if you've been with us, we've been going through a celebrate, celebrate recovery series. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's been good. If, if you're new, you're going to hear some intros tonight and it's actually in step with what happens in this room with celebrate recovery on Friday nights. And uh, when people introduce themselves on a Friday night, uh, as we've been doing throughout the series, and you'll hear some more tonight, it starts with a flow like this where it begins with our understanding of, of who we are, where we have hurts, habits, and hangups, and how God is restoring those. And so it goes a little something like this. Um, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who is celebrating recovery in areas of lust and anger, who struggles with anxiety and depression. Hi, my name is Colin. And hopefully you've been here and you're seeing that, that this is something that's actually really ingrained, not just within Mosaic, but with the Celebrate Recovery partnership that we have in this room. And uh, I love throughout the series, it would be tragic um, if, if it just turned into a three-week series. That was cool. We did some confession and then we left it. Um, actually, our hope for you, and some of you are already on this, is to continue in that journey of healing that happens here on Fridays, as well as, did you know that Celebrate Recovery is not only nationally known, it's also internationally known. I had the privilege of getting to go to Turkey and visit some church planners, and I got there a couple of weeks after they had just had staff from this CR team come in to establish Celebrate Recovery in Turkey. And you know what began to happen? Muslims who were adverse to the gospel were beginning to hear about this invitation to express their hurts and their hangups and their habits, and they encountered the living Christ, and that church is growing and continuing to thrive. Isn't that powerful? And, and we are so blessed to have that ministry in this room on Friday nights as well as down in Fayetteville. And not only that, we have an incredible staff at Celebrate Recovery who comes and partners with us. And so our longing and hope is, out of this series, don't just take these good thoughts and ideas. Let's pursue some healing together, yeah? And uh, there's a lot of next steps Nate's going to teach on. And also tonight, um, we're going to have the privilege and opportunity to grab one of these. Um, if you feel so led, uh, this is a blue chip. Now, some of you already have these, correct? You've, you've been here on a Friday night. You understand it. But for some of us, this is an invitation. On the front, it says, the journey begins. And there's nothing special, it's just a blue chip. But what it stands for is if there's an area in your walk with God, or if you have identified throughout the series, I have a hurt or a wound, or I have behaviors that I just know are out of step with the Spirit of God and I wanna change, 
we're gonna have a chance tonight to take this just as an example to go, but the beginning, the journey to healing starts now. And so we'll have a chance later in the service to do that. Um, uh, with, we'll have folks on the sides and David Atterbury will set us up. And uh, tomorrow, churches all across the nation as well as some across the world will celebrate the sanctity of life. Um, something church has been doing for 40, 50 years. And I have a love-hate relationship with the sanctity of life. Not that I disagree with it and not that I don't love it. I, I hate it because we continually have to feel the effects of a broken world that doesn't see image bearers as equal and, and distinct in beauty in the image of God. And that we have to come together year after year to continue to face there's so much pain, trauma, and brokenness from the orphan to the widow, and I love it because it gets me in alignment with the heart of God. Because for the foreigner, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, the child, the orphan, the widow, it's all over God's heart for restoring his world. And so as we continue to worship tonight, could, could we just take a posture of prayer for a moment? And would you close your eyes? And would you take a moment and maybe just identify somebody right now that you know is not feeling valued? And it could be the, a child that was lost. It could be the mom that's feeling the guilt or the shame or the pain of that. The father who left. Can you identify a person you know and ask God to remind them that they matter? Father, thanks for calling us sons and daughters and beloved. Jesus, would you allow us to worship in that posture tonight? Spirit, as we continue in this journey of healing with you, would you break our hearts tonight for what breaks yours and remind us of the good news and the hope we have in the gospel? It's in your name that we gather and sing. To this side. 
believer in Jesus. I struggle with sexual addiction, anger, and fear of the future. And my name is Matt. And I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with anxiety, control, and food. And my name is Aaron. Hey, Aaron. We're going to share with you the eight principles of recovery based on the Beatitudes from Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. These are the foundational truths upon which our healing is built. We read these principles every week in CR because they remind us that our recovery is a process and that the process is made possible only by Jesus. Aaron and I will read the eight principles. Please join us in reading the corresponding verse that follows each principle. Principle one, realize I am not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Matthew 5, 3. Principle two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. Principle three, Consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek, Matthew 5, 5. Principle four, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8. Principle five, voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Happier Happier those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires, Matthew 5, 6. Principle 6, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible. 
except when to do so would harm them or others. Happy, Happy are, are the merciful, Matthew 5, 7. Happy are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9. Principle 7, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. Principle 8, yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and my words. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires, Matthew 5:10. Thanks, Tolsons. Y'all can have a seat. Well, we say at Mosaic that all are broken and all matter and only one gets the glory. When we say that all are broken, <clears throat> we mean that <clears throat> all people are touched by the negative effects of sin. Either sin that they're responsible for or sin that's been done to them or even just the effects of sin corroding God's good world and the chaos that results from that corrosion. Think things like natural disasters or illness. Sometimes we get stuck there. We need some extra help to get out of that broken place. So we've been looking at life's healing choices, this introduction to celebrate recovery that distills some of the Bible's best wisdom around healing and restoration and infuses it into a 12-step recovery ministry. Colin opened up the series helping us look at the first two healing choices. First is admitting need that we can't control at all. And second, getting help. We turn to the one who can control it all. Then Rodney led us through the next three choices. Third, letting go, that we've turned to God, the one who can control it all, and we turn everything over to him. Fourth, coming clean. We open the book of our life to God and to someone we trust, no longer hiding. And fifth, we make changes. We actually change. We don't let excuses rule, but we go to work with God in the dark and the hard parts of our lives. So those first five steps, they bring us to tonight. And I would like to add some skin to that skeleton from my own story. In the last couple of months, there's been a handful of times where I've, I've had to communicate to kind of a broad group of people like y'all, uh, especially with the parents that have been in this room uh, during next-gen services about sex or sexuality or the body or sexual sin. And is it any wonder if you jump into the Bible, from the, from the start, we look in the garden, we're naked, our first sin propels us into shame, and we hide and clothe ourselves. The, the big miracle of the Bible that the Savior of the world takes on flesh and comes to the womb of a virgin. And, and finally, it, at the end, it's the church are the bride of the groom in the resurrection, that we are there. It's, it's marriage and birth and bodies and sex all wrapped up in this story. And because it's such a part of the human experience, it's one of those that gets especially tangly really fast. We just get sin issue piled on sin issue. This fall, we're going to get into the letter of 1 Corinthians, and if there is a a Bible book about some sin issues wrapped up around sex, sexuality. There's some doozies in there. We'll get to that later. 
When I first uh, participated in cell groups in high school, I, was, I first came to this church as a sophomore in high school, and, uh, and then I started to lead them in college and following, I've just found that sexual sin is a major thing that men and boys are struggling with. And it's not just guys either. That's just the people that I've been in confidence with. I, I know that the church for years has emphasized this with men, but uh, just know that sexual struggles and sin affect women too. Now, it takes lots of forms. It's porn or disordered sexual desires or difficulty keeping boundaries with others or just the impulse to objectify, but it's all sexual sin. So I I bring it up this openly to say that I have found great freedom from sexual sin through relationships and accountability, and my time with CR was a big part of that too. My ongoing accountability with my small group and with accountability partner, it, it keeps me sharp. As I prepared for this message tonight, I reviewed my own notes from my my times in in my step studies. I had one in 2016 and another one in 2019. And as I remembered working through these five steps, the the lists of people and situations that had come to mind as I worked through tangled memories and feelings of conviction, it, it, it has felt sobering and really even miraculous that I now feel healed and resolved in some of these. For example, there's just places where I, I'm, God has just shown me grace, not only in not holding my sins against me, but also in just moving even the plaguing memories away. I've been so relieved of the burdensome memories of the last several years of, of things that were for so long just the only thing I could see right up in my eyes because the attention that I gave to them in my time in CR, those have moved out of that space. But it was also sobering to see things on the list that made it in 2016 and 2019, and if I started one today, they would make the list again today. So let's jump in together tonight. I'm I'm really glad to be here with you all, and I'm glad that the weather of the week really did clear up so that we could be in this space together tonight. I'm a grateful believer who is celebrating recovery and sexual sin and who struggles with anger and compulsive behaviors around my phone and food. My name is Matt. Hey, y'all. We start the sixth healing choice tonight. It's evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. Offer forgiveness make amends. We'll find tonight that these are are two sides of the same coin. We're we're doing the work on both sides of the hurt. You hurt me, and I forgive you. I hurt you, and I'm sorry. Two sides of the same coin. So in this recovery process, we've said that we can't fix ourselves. We've been honest with what's broken in our life and what needs to change, and, and we've brought it to God and to someone we trust. And yet, the absolute bummer part of my sin is that it's not just God and I that are affected by it. There is relational collateral. Sin just breaks relationships, doesn't it? Recall this graphic that we've looked at now three weeks in a row. The the messiness of life sends us into a cycle of hurts and hang-ups and habits that all swell up and build up to this negative effect of broken relationship. So it means our choice tonight is repairing relationships. We do this by offering forgiveness and making amends. And let me remind us all, this is a series that is a brief overview of what might be a many-year process. It will be if you jump in. Tonight is just about catching hope again 
in places you might feel hopeless. That, that, that some painful place, it may yet be redeemed. It's hope that relationships won't always be as hard as that one feels. And that maintaining recovery skills might mean future relationships might be the best and the healthiest we've ever had. So, first, repairing relationships by offering forgiveness to those who've hurt you. And I think Ephesians 4 just cuts right to the heart of that. It reads like this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Why forgive others? God forgave you. What is the the thing that you are scared to tell anyone? The thing that you think would just ruin relationships if it was known? I've gotten to say those things in confidence to brothers who were reminders that God's forgiven me. And he's got enough grace to cover all of it. Yours and mine alike. His grace is, it's amazing, but it's also offensive. It it offends the very impulse of every story we tell. Normally we say, you made that bed and now you got to sleep in it. You get the consequences of your own actions. But, But grace breaks that because you made the bad choice, but you don't take the full brunt of the consequences that Jesus did. Grace is so counter to our our very impulses that we have to remind ourselves again and again and again that it doesn't work the way that sometimes we think it should. We maybe don't have the best idea. Now, now you might be thinking, sure, sure, I know I've been forgiven of so much, but you don't know how bad that person was to me, how awful this circumstance was. And I don't. I don't. And let me slow down for a moment and, and speak to one specific group of, of people in the room tonight. If, if you've been the victim of sexual abuse, physical abuse, childhood, emotional abuse, or neglect, I'm so sorry. That's the stuff that breaks the heart of God and it breaks the heart of every person that looks in on it. It's not right. It's not good. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I hurt with you. And yet you will not find the peace and freedom from your perpetrators until you're able to forgive them. Forgiving them in no way excuses them for the harm they've caused you, but it will release you from the power that they've had over you. So we, we, we have to choose forgiveness. Forgiveness is the only good choice we even have. What else is there? The only other choice I could think of was resentment. And resentment just doesn't work. Uh, Life's Healing Choices lays out these three things. It says resentment is unreasonable, unhelpful, and unhealthy. It's unreasonable because the person who hurt you has stopped thinking about it. And if you just wind up and stew up, it doesn't help them think about it anymore. Like 10, 20, 30 years from now, who's still thinking about it? Who's losing sleep over it? It's you. It's not them. It's not them. So um, resentment only hurts the person full of it. It just doesn't make sense. It's unreasonable. It's unhelpful. Because you can't change the past, the problem, or the person by thinking about it more. Resentment can't even help you be vindictive if you want it to by hurting the other person who hurt you. It only hurts you. It's unhelpful. 
And finally, it's unhealthy. There is an emotional and a physical and a spiritual toll to unforgiveness. Bitterness is in, in one relationship as a way of corroding other interactions and, and poisoning your emotions and harming your body and sickening your soul. It is unhealthy. So if we start with the reminder that we don't deserve forgiveness and we didn't earn it and our continued obedience doesn't mean God owes it to us, then our hearts are postured as recipients. And we're just grateful. Don't forget, you and I, we need forgiveness in the future. We will. You might need it on the way home. You might need it in this moment. There might be a tension between you and the person next to you. You might need it right now. Think about how dangerous the Lord's prayer is. <laughs> forgive us as our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, forgive me as much as I forgive others. Resentment is a scary answer to that prayer, is it not? So I know that I need to forgive people. I know that I need to, but the harder question might be how. How do I forgive others? The book lays out these three. It says, reveal your hurt. And this starts with you, okay? This isn't going to the person who hurt you yet. Instead, revealing your hurt happens when you let yourself be honest. This is the, the dredging up and the saying aloud phase, not the necessarily the taking it to the person who hurt you yet, especially when the people we love have hurt us. We spend time trying to say things like, they did their best, or I, I know they meant well. And instead, being honest, taking that step of honesty is, is saying, that actually hurt. What they did was not right. It's okay that I feel upset about that. That's That's okay. Uh, Gary Oliver has said it this way. He says, whenever we ignore or bury an emotion, it's buried alive. And it doesn't stay underground, does it? It always comes back uglier, doesn't it? I, I see this in my kids. I, if I ask one of my kids to brush his teeth, and, and for some reason he just hauls back and socks me and then sprints to his room, what in the world? So I go to him, and I find that he's not mad about the teeth brushing. He's mad that his brother had taken something. And when I get that out of him, I realize, oh, you're... You're angry, but your anger is just coming out sideways. And I want to say that that's just cute and a little kid thing, but I think that's an us thing, isn't it? I do the same thing, and I, I don't doubt that we're not all there. It might take some time of introspection in journaling, or maybe some purposeful time with trusted friends, maybe a step study, maybe counseling. That's okay. Sometimes revealing your hurt isn't going to be a ta-da. Like, I, I, I have this thing I know is here, and I just need to, I need to show you, like pulling a shame rabbit out of a magician's hat. The magician knows that the rabbit's in there, right? It's not like that. Maybe it's instead this, this surprise of coming to understand something that we've had trouble putting words to. It's the slow work of emotional archaeology that we're just chipping and digging and brushing away at it until we can see what's there in the dirt and we can speak about it honestly. Then after revealing the hurt, we, we get to this next piece, re releasing the offender. When do you release the offender? Do it now. Do it as soon as you feel like you can. It's, it's independent of the other person. We're not waiting on them to change or to apologize in order to offer forgiveness. Look at this passage with me. It's Romans 5. It says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. I just love like... 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiveness can be given without the other person's involvement at all. While we were still standing against him, he died for us. We don't have to wait for reconciliation. We don't have to wait for the other person to change. You're not stuck behind someone else's need to repent. Your your recovery journey can continue on. Forgive now because it's as much of a gift to you as it is to the person who hurt you. Do you remember the the time that Peter asks Jesus how many times he has to forgive someone who sins against him? And how Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. Do it again and again and again. If you've been holding something for a long time, it's likely going to be a long time of you opening your hands and giving it over to the Lord. And then weeks or days, moments later, looking down, realizing you, you closed your hands again around the hurt like you had for so long and going, I'm going to open my hands again and again, giving it over to the Lord again and again and again. And there will come a day where the thought of that person doesn't bring hurt or pain or your fight or flight response, and it might not be until the whole world is set right again. But that doesn't mean we don't lean in today asking God to let his will be done now on earth as it is in heaven. It's not forgetting either. Sometimes God will help you wrap it up and set it on the shelf. Not, not forgotten, but not the only, it's not the glasses that you're looking through constantly. It's not the only thing you can see. Now, releasing an offender, it may happen face-to-face with the person who hurt you. And also, it, it may not. Maybe it might not because it's impossible that the person has died. You've got no idea where they are in the world. Maybe it's unhealthy. Someone hurt you in a grievous way, and approaching them again will just cause you harm. Maybe it's not productive. You're, you're trying to, my trying to reconcile with a high school girlfriend might not be helpful for her or for me. I can still release them. And the best way forward, causing no more harm, is to, to do a couple of things. You might write a letter and never send it. You might sit an empty chair down and speak to it as if the person's sitting there. Uh, you, you might even uh, just share with a friend and say to them the things you wish you could have said to that other person. Forgiveness, uh, forgiveness is a gift to you, even if the other person doesn't get the full benefit of it as well, even if they never even know that it's been given. Mr. Rogers says this. He says, forgiveness is a strange thing. It can sometimes be easier to forgive our enemies than our friends. It can be hardest of all to forgive people we love. The people close to us hold the most relational weight for us. So wounding by their hands feels especially heavy. And somehow they know which button to push, don't they? Like they they just know the quickest way to the deepest wounds. We get to this, the end of this, or kind of if we're moving through this linearly, which we're not. uh, But replacing our hurt with God's peace would be the kind of finale here. I let God handle what I cannot because I can't make them apologize. I I can't make them change. I can trust that God is just, and he'll deal appropriately with all sin. The Bible describes this, this peace of God as something that passes all understanding, as if to say, you won't. You won't understand it. This peace won't make sense. It'll be surprising given the circumstance. So we give him our hurt. And if there's someone who can handle my emotions, my flailing about, it's God. 
He ain't scared, he ain't overwhelmed, he ain't shocked. One of my professors in seminary said that God always moves toward sin. Think of him in the garden. He, he, he comes to Adam and Eve after the fall. Or think about Christ. He comes to be God with us. To, to, to reference back to Rodney last week, he comes to be Christ under the table. So, to think about the serenity prayer, there's this line we say, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. The way to peace is hard. In the global scheme of things, sometimes it takes worldwide war to get to peace. So it might, in your hurt, take the hard road through giving up resentment and forgiving someone who's hurt you to reach peace. There were people that I had to forgive who exposed me to to sexual sin. Some were easy to forgive, and some still feel in that pain place of asking again for God to help me open my hands and release my offender and ask him again and ask him again and then ask him to bring his peace. But the whole process, like I referenced a minute ago, is not linear. At the same time as we're trying to forgive people who have hurt us, we're also realizing that we are someone else's offender. We're the person in someone else's story that has caused them hurt, and and we need to make amends. So what does Romans 12 say about amends? It says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible... And it might not be possible, but if it is, as far as it depends on you, because you can't control how others do it, live at peace with everyone, which means I'll have to lean in when I've hurt others and own the harm that I've done. So why do we need to make amends? Amends is making right what I've done wrong. It's acknowledging that I too am a pain dealer. I too am the source of some hurt in someone else's life that's resulted in their hangups and their habits. It's Jesus saying, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Making amends is starting with our own plank. How do you make amends? And we've got to to do this in this Romans mindset. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, living at peace with everyone, the way we move forward, as sobering as this sounds, is you make a list of those that you've harmed and what you did. And I'll just say that in CR, this happens months into the process. Tonight is just the forecasting of what might come if you start down the path of life's healing choices. And if making amends is taking the responsibility to clean up our own side of the street and our own part in broken relationships, then another tender word to that same group of abuse and and neglect. Your part in it is nothing. It's nothing. It wasn't your fault. You don't have a plank. You don't have a speck. It wasn't your fault. For me, looking at my list and what they call an inventory, it's not just people who have hurt me and and who I need to forgive. It is full of people that I hurt and commitments that I failed to keep and relationships that I mangled. And strung through the middle of it all is this through line of my own sexual history. And, and sometimes with the encouragement of my sponsor or accountability partners, I've, I've addressed the people that I've hurt. And, and I've owned what I did wrong, and I admitted that I had a massive plank in my own eye. And I asked for forgiveness. Sometimes the best way forward while causing no more harm was to take that same advice from the, the offering forgiveness. The other side of the coin is write the letter again, or, and don't send it, or talk to the empty chair. Say the thing you wish you could to a friend that you trust. 
Sometimes I make amends with a relationship that really is time would have carried us apart anyway, and I get to close the door on that and, and end it healthily, and that's a, that's a gift of a thing, isn't it? But sometimes I have to make amends again and again and again, and, and that's relationship. It's the, my wife, my kids, my friends and family. With Kara, as it regards to my, my sexual sin, it looks like apologizing, again, if old habits die hard or as new consequences surface today from old addictions. I have to humbly say what I did wrong without excuse. I'm sorry that I said that. I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry I didn't show you the respect you deserve. I'm sorry for the way that my sins, even things long ago and confessed and forgiven, are still finding new ways to hurt you today. I'm sorry. It's not a time for justifications or my excuses. It's a time for ownership. And I have no expectations about what response I'll get or or what you would get. I'm not owed forgiveness. I'm not owed a reciprocal apology. Like, okay, now it's your turn to tell me about your spec. It's it's none of that. And, And one last little aside here. If you have the ability to fix the situation by making restitution, you stole something or you took what was not yours and you can give it back, do it. Like, fix it. That's pay, pay the debt back, whatever it might be. The first big time of making amends is dealing with today's trouble, but also yesterday's and the days before that. It's a big work. And the silver lining is that once you start, you're not gonna wanna stop. And by, by keeping short accounts with people, you'll find that each day truly does have enough troubles of its own. And you'll have what you need today to work on today's troubles. What's it all mean for us tonight? You, you might be overwhelmed. You might have, as I started to describe it, started to make your own list. And as you got to the end of this week and you thought about all the people that you would have to forgive and all the people that you'd have to make amends with, you just are like, throw my hands up. I give up. I can't do it. It's too long of a list already. Just let me remind you, we're, we're peeking in on a much bigger process. Our hope is that we would learn new skills so that future relationships will be healthier and current ones will be restored. And the first step is still just admitting you need help. So who can you admit it to? Be vulnerable with your people, whoever they are. It could be a CR people, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, but be vulnerable with your people. And if that feels too hard to do with people you know, then Friday night is a gift. Show up, be anonymous in the room, go sit in an open chair. They have rules that govern how you actually talk and people don't talk back to you. You just get to say it and they say, thanks for sharing. It's incredible. So if that's what you need to say it to strangers first, do it, take advantage. Maybe what you need is to come forward tonight and take a chip. I know Colin talked about it, and and we'll get into that a little bit. Whatever choice you make, find someone you can be vulnerable with. It's like the old man tells Link in the Zelda games. The very first one, he starts by saying, it's dangerous to go alone. In that, he gives him a sword, but I'm not giving you a sword, right? I'm saying go with people. (laughs) Different thing. So to close, um, y'all, I know the work feels hard. It just feels like, it feels like a tangled mess, too difficult to manage. If it was easy, You'd have done it already. Um, There are many who have gone before you because there's one that went before us all. It's our Lord and our Savior, King Jesus. So I want this passage out of Hebrews 12 to be our closing word of hope together. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider, this is the, this is the part that gets it for me, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So don't lose heart. Will you pray with me? God's sin, um, it wrecks so much. I confess to you that I have chosen it far too often and that the consequences continue to linger and, and pile up in my life. Help me fix my eyes on you. Surround me with faithful brothers and sisters to encourage me along the road of recovery. When I grow weary and when I lose heart, help me fix my gaze once again upon you. And I ask just that you would use this testimony from our brother Enoch, that you would spur us on now by his good word. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. I want to welcome my buddy Enoch out. How's it going, Mosaic? Happy Saturday. Good to see you. Uh, hey, I am a grateful, I'm going to read from my phone because I wrote, and I feel like it will help me stay on pace and on time. So here we go. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus who struggles with sexual brokenness, bitterness, resentment towards my family, and trusting the love of others. And my name is Enoch. Shout out. Hey, so I grew up in a home where Jesus was no secret. I knew him, I loved him, and he was the center and sole motivation that brought my family to another country to share the good news of who he was. I know now today and love and follow Jesus because of the foundation that my parents gave me. In the same vein, though, my family is also one of the biggest sources of pain and struggle in my story. It wasn't until my parents divorced and both cycled through substance addiction that I realized how abandoned and left and lost I had been feeling. That a bottle or substance would take priority over me as their child was truly soul-crushing. And as I navigated the ab abandonment that came with this substance abuse, I began to question a lot of things. How could those who love me not choose me? Why would a God allow my faithful family to fall so hard? As I wrestled with these questions, there grew a bitterness and resentment towards my parents and the neglect I experienced because of their sin. And without knowing it, I grew all too familiar with the comfort that came from being a victim of their choices and thought myself as nothing but powerless to be other than anything other than broken. But when I did my first step, step study a few years ago, I got to the amends section and truly thought I was done for y'all. It was the scariest thing I have ever done to have to face my family and confront, one, the hurt that they had caused me, but two, the ways that I had I'd been complicit in holding on to that hurt. I fumbled through some really clunky conversations and attempts to address the hurt that, I had, been that had been done to me, but also the hurt that I had caused. By no means did these conversations resurrect the relationship with my mom and dad. And by no means do I feel like I've put this part of my story neatly back up into a shelf. But I am constantly reminded of the things I was robbed or confronted with, the memory of. And in my story, there's been all sorts of things where I've grieved over and over again, whether it was things that weren't mine or moments where the work of what my parents had done truly had wounded, wounded me. But it's there in those moments of the work that forgiveness looks like the 70 times seven that Jesus invites me into. 
And while committing to that ongoing process and making amends over and over again, it can be cumbersome, but there are moments where it feels like heaven meets earth, and they touch to create something really sacred, a thin space of sorts. One such moment came last fall at my wedding where I courageously invited my entire family to my wedding. And at one point during the meal, I looked up, and at the table, my entire immediate family was sitting at a table together. This was the first time since 2007, since we moved back from South Africa, that my parents were all in the same room. There was something humbling about watching a really simple thing be as sacred to me as it was, that my small act of courage in moving towards an act of obedient forgiveness towards my family didn't have some profound, crazy, life-altering moment, but they were in the room and they got to watch me do work as I was stepping towards obedience in my own marriage, which I thought was pretty special. If you know me well, you know I unashamedly long for heaven and I pray all the time that it would come quickly. Uh, And while I wait though, I'm committed to the fumbling forward that happens as I choose to forgive people and the choice to do so creates joy and freedom that I would have nowhere else. If you ever wanna hear more, I would love to share a cup of coffee with you. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Enoch. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Well, speaking of weddings, um, a long time ago in a faraway place, September 16th, 2001, uh, this beautiful lady named Karen stood across from me, and uh, our friend Doug was, was doing our wedding, and she graciously offered me a ring, and I did the same, and we made vows, and we were married. And that little ring has no power whatsoever to keep our marriage together. But it is a reminder to me every day of that day when I decided, yeah, she gets all of my heart, I get all of hers, and we're gonna take this journey together no matter what it looks like. And when we talk about this blue chip thing that we do every Friday night at Celebrate Recovery, We're not marrying you to anyone, okay, first of all. But we are kind of giving you a little physical reminder of a decision to say, you know what? I've been hearing this stuff at at Mosaic for the past three weeks, and I know, I know there's some things that I just need to lay at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm gonna let you into this. And I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what the ups and downs will be, but I trust you in the journey. And when we ask people to invite them to to come and take a chip every Friday night, this blue chip, we call it a surrender chip because it's just a a thing that says, look, I'm at the, I'm at my wit's end in this area of my life. And I'm gonna come in front of a bunch of other people who are just as broken and messed up as I am. And I'm gonna say, will you walk this journey with me and support me while I embrace Jesus and whatever he wants to do in this journey with me? And at Celebrate Recovery, we have a party when this is happening. When people come up and take a blue chip, we don't think, man, I wonder what's wrong with them, okay? We go, wow, welcome to the family of fellow strugglers. Because all are broken, all matter, but one gets the glory. So I had the joy last Sunday of being up at Fellowship Fayetteville and seeing this very thing, and it was amazing and miraculous as people decided, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna take one of those little goofy blue chips, but it's gonna be a reminder of a starting point of this journey that's gonna begin. And I don't know what's next, but I'm willing to say, hey, I'm in there. 
And will my brothers and sisters support me in the way we let them know is just clap. You can hoop and holler if you want to because what we're seeing is the beginning of fresh life change. And I get to see that every Friday night and man, it's amazing. So here's the deal. We're not telling you you have to come pick up one, but we're telling you you got the chance to. And if you'd like to do that publicly just to kind of reinforce this decision, you come on down. We're going to have some folks here. We're going to do it like we do at CR. If you're a guy, you're going to have a guy there. He's going to hand you a chip, and he'd love to give you a big hug if you'll take one. Same thing for ladies. We'll have that on each side over here by the banners. And we're going to sing through a song. And at any point in time during that song, if you would like to come and take one of those chips, you come on down, and we're going to cheer you on, and we're going to praise the Father. We're going to praise him. So y'all ready to do this? You may be shaking in your boots, but I guarantee you, you'll be okay. Come on, let's stand and praise him, and you feel free to come and take a blue chip as you would like to. Here we go. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began yeah. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained Let's cheer on these brothers, come on My orphan heart was given my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. Amen. Yes. You have made.
darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace softly washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Yes. And we can sing these words in faith because we know how this story ends. So sing this with me tonight. good news. You're my Savior, my defense. We do not fear. No more fear for death. Yes, amen. Let's declare this together.
What a joy it is to celebrate together life change. Mosaic, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I celebrate recovery over the impact of childhood trauma and I struggle with chronic illness and food issues. My name is Laura. Would you stay standing with me as we pray the serenity prayer together? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Yes. Let's celebrate. Hey, it's been such a blessing to walk through this Celebrate Recovery series with you here at Mosaic. And if God has stirred something in your heart, or even if you were someone who took a blue chip tonight, um, we just want to encourage you, if you're thinking, what's next? A great place to start is to come to a Friday night Celebrate Recovery service. Right here? Yes. Yes. Right here. Um, on our Rogers, Rogers campus, also on our Fayetteville campus, every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So we want to encourage you to take that next step. Um, we also have our prayer team available to pray with you every week after service in the back of the worship center. We encourage you to do that as well. And thank you for worshiping with us, Mosaic. And now may we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.